Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle aged warriors, Chris Samino and Rick Summers. Yes, yes, yes. You know what number this is, Rick, for middle aged no. warriors? No, no. Yes. No. Say it I isn't am, so. I am in denial. <laughs> Hey, come on. You should be proud of it. 100. Show 100 for the Middle Age Warriors on the Believe Podcast Network. That's not bad. Yeah. You know what? It seems like we just started with show one, but that was now two years ago. It's going to be in in March. March. Three years. It'll be the end of March will be three years. Oh, my goodness. That's what they say. We've been dealing with three years of pandemic, three years of Tula barking in the background. I don't know if you can hear her. <laughs> I can't, but she always they, waits for me to mean. start this. Yeah, she waits for yeah. this before she barks. She waits for the on the air light to go on before uh, she starts to I bark. Where I swear, I swear. Anyway, uh, well, welcome to Middle Age Warriors. How are you, Mr. Rickster? I'm good. Wow. I'm still puzzled that this is 100. So congratulations to yeah. you. <laughs> to me and thank you to our, our yes. i was gonna say our viewers to our listeners mm-hmm. who are so kind to stop by when you do and you know that we have so many shows in the bank that even if you're on the believe podcast network you can find out or find past stuff that we've done yeah we, and we really want to encourage you to go back and hear some of the things that you may have missed because there have been some good stuff in there yeah, I mean, when you think about the, the, you know, I went back and I looked at the 99 shows prior. You know, when you have people like Meredith Vieira, uh, you know, Savannah Guthrie, we've had Len Berman uh, from NBC Sports, different people from all aspects of being middle-aged warriors and and then some. So, uh, you know, writers, people, physical therapists, acupuncturists, yeah. you, you name it. You know, yeah, we've had no, a lot. We covered the gamut. And really... Um... Chris and I, we born this show, I don't want to say out of necessity, but it was really something that you and I sat and talked about many years ago about doing, you know, a male version of The View mm-hmm. uh, where we could talk. And I, to be honest with you, I think we could do a lot more than we do, but mm-hmm. I'm happy that we do what we do. And uh, I'll go on record as saying I really appreciate the effort that you put forth because I know how busy, especially since you've been working at Channel 11 here in New York for the past year and getting up at godforsaken hours. Well, I mean, to me, it's a pleasure. And this is an opportunity to also, you know, continue the friendship that we have, the love fest uh, that Rick and I have, because it is it it really is something, you know, it's it's a dual respect for each other on, on many different levels. But I think the show has sort of become a good place for people hit you know in middle age and and well into middle age but dealing with all the speed bumps in the road that we run into and having some yeah. of these guests to help us get through it yeah well i, I think it's really comforting as i always say misery loves company you yeah know? <laughs> it's well <laughs> not, but, but, not but that we're miserable but no but but there is you know in sometimes just in pain and different things that come up in life that are tough to handle when you know there's somebody else there who's experienced it, who you can talk to and gets it, and who you could just, you know, lean on a shoulder, whatever it might be. And that really points to the guest we have coming up today. Perfect. Sarah Brady. Yeah. I mean, it, you yeah. know, someone who who dealt with a loss that even though there was some degree of being prepared for it, 
it still sort of came out of left field and in, in, in losing the love of her life and her husband and just how you deal with that. And, you know, a lot of people well into middle age in particular, in my case, I was kind of just in the middle of middle age when it happened, but it, it happens. We lose our partners. And yeah. Often we don't know what to do. And actually Sarah came to us because uh, she is a, a publicist in central Florida, in Orlando. And my brother uh, knew Sarah and has become friendly with her because she and he became friends over mm -hmm. Sarah developing um, this proclivity to be able to talk about losing spouses because my brother lost his wife mm -hmm. uh, a year ago, year and a half ago. And uh, so they were able to kind of support each other through that. And Peter suggested, you know, this is a woman you may want to talk to because she's putting together a program and a website for spouses who lose their partners in death. And I said, oh, that would be great. And especially since I know Chris has gone through that. And that was one of the driving factors that made our friendship uh, kind of ignite all those years ago in talking mm -hmm. about some of the stuff that you went through. I think it's an important topic that we have to address for those who have experienced it. And even in a way, you know, nobody ever likes to think about it, but to plant the seed of, hey, what if, what would I do? And how can I be a little bit better prepared? You're never totally prepared. Yeah. But I think, I think um, this interview and listening to Sarah, and I have to be honest, and it's pretty recent for her. It, you know, it wasn't all that long ago, yeah. uh, this loss. And she sounds very strong. And I think she will be inspirational uh, to many in listening in. Uh, so we're going to get to that. But first, of course, we get to our all-important sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from the Super Bowl to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And here's our very special guest. I, I like to call this the bridge because basically, this is the walkway between Chris and I at the beginning and then Chris and I at the end. And now you're the star. We welcome Sarah Brady, who is coming to us via Zoom, which is how we live our life nowadays. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are so glad to have you with us because you have a, a really important message that you're sharing. Thank you for having me. By the way, we should mention that the bridge is the most important part of the show. So that's <laughs> that's where we are. <laughs> Uh, yeah. but, but Sarah, so I, Rick introduced you to me and you've got, you're working on a very special project and we'll, we'll talk, I guess, moving back a little bit into your history as a publicist, et cetera. But right now, what's at the forefront of what you're doing, the important work you're doing? Well, um, my husband passed away a year and a half ago and, uh, certainly, uh, you know, new experience for me. Um, it was quite traumatic and, you know, dealing with all of that, it's the post period of his passing that I discovered a whole new set of experiences that no one can prepare you for. Mm -hmm. And after he died, people sent me pamphlets and brochures and, um, and gave me counsel and advice. You should do this. You should do that. And what I took away from it was 
um, all of the spiritual things and the faith-based things were lovely. And I'm sure they provide a lot of comfort for people. It, it didn't really do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was um, I, I was looking for something more pragmatic, I guess, and um, uh, more tactical in how to move forward and address um, the things that arose. Um, and those kind of um, include anything from, you know, where to bury my husband, mm-hmm. how to make those arrangements. And in the middle of a pandemic, um, you know, picking out his clothes you know, those kinds of things, but also the, the, probably the biggest thing was how others treat me now and how others react to me now. People that have known me and knew my husband and knew us together and, um, right. and they behave differently. And probably the pivotal moment was when a friend of mine, I ran into her I was with another girlfriend and we were in target. And this was about, I think Brady had been gone for about uh, a month. And she said, um, we, we would have dinner on Friday nights. Um, um, with her and her husband and two other couples. And she said, we got to get the gang back together. We really got to get the gang back together. Mm-hmm. Oh. I didn't really know what to say. And I waited and then she kept saying and saying, and she's, she and I talked about this since. So, um, and so I finally had to tell her that, you know, you probably don't know this, but you know, Brady passed away about a month ago. And Oof. she said, I did know. Mm-hmm. And she said, I just didn't know what to say. So for me, I felt now my responsibility was I have to make everybody else feel better about, you know, what I'm, you know, struggling with. So Um, no advice on how to do that. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where I landed. And it's really interesting. And Chris, I'm going to want you to address that because I'm sure you went through some of that as well. But uh, being on TV here in New York, um, you had a lot of following and a lot of people knew and the word got out. But uh, the one thing that, I'm amazed at, and I've lived through this personally, professionally, as a social worker, as a broadcaster, is people do not know what to say, so they say nothing. They evaporate. Mm. They 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 right. really go into their little ball, their little cocoon. Yeah. I, w- I would say probably that was one of the more uncomfortable elements to it. In general, I have to say, honestly, most of my friends continued to be by my side, treated me you know, as well as they could under the circumstances, obviously, you know, Sarah, you bring bring up a point. I can remember when I started then just kind of going out with the gang again, and it was two other couples. And I remember walking into the restaurant and the table would be set for five. And, you know, I would then sit at the end of the table and the two couples would sit on the side. It was, that's, it it sounds like a very simple thing, but it, it really punches you in the stomach every time it happened. Uh, but I will say that very few people disappeared on me. I, I was really blessed with with a, an amazing support system of friends and obviously family as well. But there's no playbook for this, as you well know, right? Well, that's I think the, that's kind of why I, what I'm trying to help create. There are a lot of resources uh, that I had been told about. I just mm. wasn't comfortable going to them. Um, and I would say um, I have a very big network of uh, friends. And I call, you know, I have, you know, sisters, they're close girlfriends that are my sisters. And then my Mr. Sisters, which are the men that mm-hmm. were all by my side. I had, you know, one Mr. Sisters. No, Mr. Sisters. Yeah, <laughs> including including your brother. Yeah. Um, and, um, but, you know, one friend came over and helped me. Uh, he installed a ring doorbell for me because I don't have that. Um, right. Hung lights for me on my patio, which my husband wasn't able to do. So, um, 
I had a lot of I had a, and um, I had a lot of support there, and they are all still with me. Um, I've had a big network. This friend was not in that kind of inner circle as close, um, and I think that's why it was probably harder for her. But well, um, one of the things I want to ask, and this really applies to both of you, is their death is traumatic and upsetting and unsettling as it was was not unanticipated or was it chris i know uh nancy dealt with cancer for how many years five six well i mean she was diagnosed with a particular blood disorder that led up to eventually the cancer she tried a bone marrow transplant and that didn't work so you know in terms of being very ill it was only about a a two-year period we were always going to the doctor prior to that for at least 10 to 15 years but but uh it was about a two-year and sarah your husband uh was dealing with a cancer diagnosis no No, my husband it's a uh, i won't go into the whole long thing but um he was 77 when he died, but he, okay. had, um, he had been in Vietnam and in mm-hmm. Vietnam, he was a helicopter crew chief and was exposed to Agent Orange. In mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And so but he was, you know, all his life. He was fit as a fiddle. Um, he was running six miles a day in his early 70s. He was, wow. he was in great shape. Um, his cholesterol was always low, which was really irritating. Um, it, literally, he was in terrific shape. And then I would say around 71 or 72. Um, he started changing. He started having cognitive issues that were peculiar. I thought he had dementia, the beginnings of dementia. And ultimately, he was diagnosed at the VA with what's called um, pro, oh God, progressive supranuclear palsy, PSP, which is a form of Parkinson's. Parkinson's okay. And it ex- but it exhibits, um, in my opinion, much closer to ALS. So it's a degenerative neurological condition. Wow. And right. so I saw this man that was fit as a fiddle begin to fall regularly, right. consistently, choking, um, not being able to see. He couldn't uh, add a tip on a check. He couldn't read anymore. So he did progress. His, um, but his passing was not expected. Um, I, he was um, aspirating one night around midnight. I took him to the hospital. They took care of him. He was in pretty good shape in the morning. And um, they said they were going to admit him um, because he had a little bit of uh, junk in his lungs or something that they wanted to clean up, he, you know, no pneumonia or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I came home. We literally live a mile from the hospital. And uh, I came home to let Margaret out. And I was gone for about an hour. And when I got back, uh, they told me he had left the hospital. And, in the, and j- just so you know, I checked him. He used a walker. He could not really walk safely without that walker because he fell so frequently and was unsteady. But badass that he was, um, he um, he had um, asked to go to the bathroom. The nurse pointed him to a bathroom, and I guess he went and then walked out the door. Walked out. Thought he could walk home. Oh, um, and oh my god! Clearly, again, cognitive issues, not really understanding, you know, mm. his capabilities. And so he walked out into a busy intersection and fell. Um, oh my god! And um, broke his, fractured his cheek, his jaw, mm. his palate. Um, big gash on his head, banged up his eye, covered in blood. Um, and so there's a, so it, that three weeks after that event, he passed away. He got sicker and sicker. And um, Oh my goodness. I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to hear I, that. That's terrible. That's just yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, and uh, I mean, I'd been taking care of him for a couple of years, but he was right. still able to, you know, run errands with me and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he couldn't go anywhere by himself. He couldn't drive and those kinds of things, but. 
Um, so yes, it was unexpected. Um, and, um, you know, so yeah, that's part of the kind of unfinished business is why I'm calling my, you know, project, my unfinished business, his life, he was not finished with his life and I wasn't finished. He wasn't finished with me. He wasn't finished mm -hmm. with our marriage and neither was I. And so all the things that I had to take care of now and change and figure out um, as a result of an unexpected passing um, is why I kind of came to this. I just kept saying, I was just, you know, this is my unfinished business here. That's unfinished. So that's where the right. name of it came from. So post-passing initially for you, what was the most difficult thing? Uh, you know, there's the obvious thing, obviously the person's no longer here, but in terms of logistically moving forward with your life, without him what struck you first that oh man i don't know what to do where do i go from this point what do i do well i certainly didn't you know there were i, I think you you have to deal with all the family dynamics and things um he wasn't mm. Vietnam vet. he had he had earned a purple heart um so um his son wanted him buried at arlington and we pursued that and it's the pandemic that was delayed you know yeah. and we the one thing he you know we'd not planned for you know, him to be buried any place. And I knew he didn't want to be buried at Arlington. He thought it was pretentious. But um, <laughs> so kind of figuring that out, how do you pick a funeral home? How do you decide where to bury? You know, all of those things. And it's a mad scramble. Um, and he ended up being in, kind of in storage for three months, uh, four, four months, I think, um, because we were trying to arrange for him to be buried at Arlington. Um, so there's that and all of the, you know, just all of the dynamics of all of the voices surrounding you and advising you and somebody wants this, somebody wants that. No fights or anything like that. It's just everybody had their heart in it and, you know, what was best for, you know, everybody. Um, but I would tell you from um, just daily living, because I still have this, um, there are kind of two things. I don't, um, I have a hard time coming in the house at night. Um, mm -hmm. If I've been out, because I still was, um, I'm still working. I was, you know, working, you know, during all this with him. But when I would come home, he'd be here. Uh, and so I come into a, an empty house and it's quiet. Uh, the energy is different and it's dark sometimes. Um, and that's a, that's probably the hardest thing for me is coming in that door. It's a peculiar feeling. I feel like I'm walking through a black curtain. And then I think um, they're just little things that you don't think about. Every once in a while, I can be, and, and Chris, you probably have this, you're just sitting, you're doing something, and maybe you'll see a photo. And mm -hmm. and they're so real, they're so lifelike, you think, it, it takes my breath away. It literally yes. takes my breath mm -hmm. away. And that, oh my God, he's not here. He's not mm -hmm. coming back. He's really not coming back. So those are the two things that are most um, prevalent for me and um, kind of tangible. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I'm approaching in May seven years, and there are still moments I'll wake up in the morning if I'm by myself. And for that split second, this is a dream. And, you know, she's in the kitchen making breakfast or something. And it hits you again with this, wait, what happened? What what happened? And I see you use that term, what happened? And is, is there something that you're utilizing that term? Because I can remember, you talk about going back to an empty house, and, you know, I wouldn't cook for a while. I get Chinese food. I'm sitting at my kitchen table by myself. And I look around and I just, it was like, what happened? Yeah, It, it yeah. really can be devastating, that feeling. Yeah, I've had that too. So the what happened thing is interesting. I've been interviewing, um, I've interviewed, I think, 13 or 14 people at this point. Um, I have probably 113 more to do, but mm. um, I've interviewed uh, primarily women, but, um, and one of them, her husband became ill kind of quickly. He'd been diagnosed with a form of cancer and within 25 days he had passed. Mm. 
And she just kept notes. And, you know, I'm a former journalist. I worked for a newspaper. And um, so I kept notes all through Brady's experience. I wrote down everything. I have every, you know, everything. And she had done the same thing. And she was telling me that she kept a journal. I'm not, you know, I don't keep a journal, but that's what she was doing. And after he died, it came in handy because she could make arrangements and she knew who to thank or she knew what doctors that she wanted to talk to and what medications that he had. And she said, so she called it, what happened? And I was telling her that I had been keeping notes. And so that's her kind mm. of, it's like almost a formula for her. So in this, on this web, on this website I'm creating, we have, the stories are all, I'm, I'm sure if I sat and talked to you, Chris, it would be an amazing story. Um, and there's a lot everybody wants to talk about. You want to tell a full love story, mm -hmm. um, but there's no way that I can write all of that. So I'm going to write a, in abbreviated versions of their story and take bits and pieces that aren't in that abbreviated version and put them under these chapters that I'm calling conversations. And one of those is what happened. And mm -hmm. so she can talk about that. And part of it is, even if you're not a note taker, it, uh, if you're in an emergency room with your spouse, you better take notes because you have to know what they're doing. You have to be able to go back and say, at 445, the doctor came in and told me this. Um, if you were going to litigate, it would be helpful. Your notes matter. But even just from making sure you're keeping track of the medications and you're in such a mental fog that if you want to go back and look at it six months later, which I have done, um, it's like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I remember that. Because you'll also write some of the good things that happened. My husband, um, after his fall, he had a big collar on his neck. And my husband was from Newark, New Jersey. He was a street boy. And he, had, he was wearing a shirt. When he fell, he was wearing a shirt that said, whale, oil, beef, hooked. So if you were Irish, which he was of Irish descent, if you said it like an Irishman, it will, well, oil, beef, hooked. <laughs> So, and that's the shirt he was wearing when he fell. And so they had the collar on him. And when they moved him upstairs to admit him after his fall, the nurse said, Mrs. Brady, we can't take that collar off. So, but we are going to change him and put clean clothes on him. And I said to him, by now he was a little more alert. So he's lying in the bed and he loved his t-shirts. And so I said, well, if you want to cut that shirt off him, it's fine. Have at it. And I said, in fact, I have other shirts at home that I can bring in. You can cut <laughs> he's lying there in his collar and he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> and so that's in my notes. <laughs> it's amazing what we attach ourselves to, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Especially men. Um, I have that shirt. <laughs> you know, one of the shows, and Chris and I have talked about this, is, is our making these decisions and plans for demise. Ours, our, our, our partners, our our children's, our pets. I mean, it's all death. It's all grief. It's all loss. And it's all a part of life. And I know that sounds pretty cliche, but had you and your husband ever had discussions to plan moving forward upon one of you passing away ahead of the other? It is, is it something that you guys broached as, as a couple? In a kind of roundabout way, I mean, number one, I knew he never wanted to be cremated. I used to ask him that all the time because as he got older and he was in a, he was a patrol officer. He was on the road every day. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, it, I, our routine was all our lives together. Um, it, he left the house around five, five thirty. I would get up with him. At, he got up at four o'clock. I'd get up at four with him and he'd, you know, have his coffee and get dressed and then he would leave and the patrol car. And I would go out every morning and kiss him goodbye. 
Um, and so, you know, you never knew if he was going to come home. And um, and then after he retired, he still did the same with me. He got up and walked me out whenever I leave the house. I always had to give him a kiss before I left the house. So we had a kind of an organic awareness that one or the other might not come back. We were very aware of how quickly life can change. Yeah. But, um, I knew he didn't want to be buried in Arlington because his son had talked about it and wanted it. But when his son asked about it, I did go to Washington. I um, I went to um, after he died. I went up to Burlington, Vermont, stayed with a friend for a week. Then I went to another friend um, in Pittsburgh for a week. And her husband, who was a friend of mine, you know, I was friends with them. We all had been at the newspaper together. He had passed away four months before Brady. And so she and I drove down to Washington to go to Arlington because I'd never been there. So I saw the majesty of Arlington. So I started to kind of buy into it. Mm. And um, and then my brother-in-law told me it's not what I wanted. And so I um, I just came back and um, I made the decision. There's a beautiful little cemetery two miles from my house. And I went and I got him a spot there and I paid for it and I made, arranged it, to, did everything. And then I called his son and I told him what I had done. And mm. Um, and I, and his son's just amazing. He's, he just retired from special forces. And so I called Scott and I said, I just want you to know, I made a decision. I'm burying your dad here in Winter Park. Um, I'm not going to do Arlington. And he goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I said, you know, after all that, and he right, goes, oh, you were stressing, okay. right? Mm -hmm. So that's all we talked about. That's the, all we talked about. However, we met with our financial planner pretty regularly right. with the understanding. So I knew where our money was. We planned okay, that. Yeah. And that's what a lot of women, I have to say, what that's another thing. Yeah. Women, even smart, educated women, still don't know where the checkbook is, don't know where the bills are. The men. Absolutely. That Absolutely. I knew where everything is. I know where everything is. And we have a really good financial planner who has been helpful to us, who was very candid with us saying, because Brady is 13, he was 13 years older than me. And he said, you know, statistically speaking, Brady will pass first. Mm -hmm. So we always went with that mindset. So that's kind of how we discussed yep. it. Good. Yeah, well, it's that's a great piece of advice, though, is, is to have that discussion and to have those plans as hard as they are to have and well, as I, hard as they are to make. Yeah. Chris. And I, and I think also key to that, because I'm the antithesis, I was the alleged educated male who had no clue what was going on financially because my wife was an accountant, a CPA, right. took care of it from day one. And because her illness, there were moments and there were several months uh, when she was very sick and we you, still a question mark whether she would or wouldn't make it. She decided to then give me all of the instructions where everything. I have one of those old school black and white composite notebooks. I yeah. still have it to this day with all of the notes where everything was, where all the passwords were. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was barely knew how to fill out a check and I was a 50 year old man because she had always handled that type of thing. But we've been going you know, lamenting on the, on the backside of this, I want to go back and reflect on the joy of your relationship. Let's talk about how you guys met. You were married for 24 years, but knew each other for 38 years. Give us the backstory. I have a great story um, with him because it, it, it I'll tell you this, that our first deep conversation, because it sort of exemplifies our relationship. Um, I think I was 26. Uh, I was covering a trial in Seminole County, which is just north of Orange County in Orlando. So it's Sanford. And he was testifying in a, um, this is where I met him. So he was testifying in a case. So he's standing across the room in his uniform. And um, and he, he ultimately, he comes over and talks to me. My heart is just going to come out of my chest because he's so cute. He's got red hair, big blue <laughs> eyes, and a, and a red handlebar mustache. You know, he's very Irish. And um, so he talked to me a little bit there and just kind of, what's your name? And that, and that was sort of it. 
But every day I used to go because I covered the police beat. I went up to the sheriff's office to see who had been arrested the night before. You know, you know, good old gumshoe journalism. <laughs> and um, so he had been transferred off the road and into um, the criminal investigation division. So he was now plain clothes. And so I, you know, every once in a while I'd see him. And again, my heart would race and there's that cute guy. There he is. <laughs> uh, and so I had a dress that I bought at Sears for, I think, $35. And I've told this story a hundred times, but it had kind of a madras pattern with a white collar, like a pilgrim collar. Oh, gosh. Double-breasted opening. It Very sexy. <laughs> it just fit me like a glove. I wore this dress twice a week, at least, because I loved this stupid dress. And so back in the day, so this is in 84, 85, um, I used the, the sheriff's office uh, comm center, where the dispatchers are, was in the building. And so I used to go by, and like they had cameras, and I waved, the dispatchers knew me. And so I came in one day, and I saw a couple of girlfriends in there, and then I was talking to outside, and he comes strolling over. He's wearing a tie and, you know, plain clothes, and I see him, and I'm, my heart is just pounding. My palms are sweating. cute deputy coming over here. And he says, my, heart, my, my palms are sweating right now talking about it. And he says, he says, can I ask you a question? And there's three or four other women around, and I look at him, and now I'm, i got to get into my reporter mode, and I said, yes. And he says, do you have any other clothes? <laughs> <laughs> and I burst Somebody out was off. observing. Yeah, oh exactly. My God. I mean, it didn't dawn on me the minute he said I just thought it was funny. <laughs> then at like a millisecond later, I realized, oh, he's been watching me. Uh... So, so then he would come down and talk to me every time I came in the building. One, one day he came by. I still didn't know him really well at all. And he came by and I was in a little room and he came by, ran in, kissed me on the cheek and then ran out. Um, yeah, I know. But that wouldn't, couldn't happen today. Mm, uh, true. But then ultimately, we we ultimately went out um, on our first date, and um, and we've been together. You know, we have been together since then. There, it's a great love people. story. So oh, you, by goodness. the way, Sarah, you also fall into the title of the show. You're a middle aged warrior. Yeah. Uh, now your career was as a publicist, writer. What? What? Basically, give me a little background on that. Too. Well, I worked in the news business. I was a you know newspaper reporter, and then I switched into public relations. And I worked at um, what's now you know Lockheed. So I started there. That was my first PR job. So I got to see what it looked like when journalists, you know, upset the other side. Um, mm -hmm. It was amazing, and it gave me great insight into you know how legitimate public relations work really is, and how valuable it is, which it's just increased in importance and value um, to this day. Um, and I ultimately ended up working for a PR firm that was one of the first in the country that specialized in crisis communications. And right. so I moved in Orlando and opened their office. And then I went to the cable provider, which was uh, Bright House, which is now Spectrum, and mm -hmm. worked there as the VP of Public Affairs for five years and then went on my own. So I, I am a crisis, uh, you know, strategic crisis manager, primarily with all the communications, but getting people in a, you know, kind of in order and I work really, I've worked really high profile cases like, you know, Pulse nightclub, um, the, uh, uh, yeah. the tragedy at Disney with the, you know, um, little boy that was killed by the alligator, mm -hmm. the shooting of Christina Grimmie. I worked on the Trayvon Martin case here with the police department. And so I worked on a lot of these big, big, um, awful, awful um, issues that have taken place. Something you still see yourself doing for the foreseeable future or, you know, where, where do you finally want to say, eh, Maybe I'll I'll hang it up for a little while and do something else. Well, you know what? I've worked hard all my life. I've worked, you know, journalism is 24-7. 
Um, I worked the cops beat that I worked till one in the morning. I've had all of the worst shifts you can imagine. And my PR work has been the same because it's always in response to some, you know, big massive emergency or Mm. very labor intensive. And so after, you know, I was working full time uh, with my own business and taking care of my husband at the same time. And truly it was just exhausting. Everything about it was exhausting um, physically and emotionally. So after he passed, you know, everything's changed and I really don't want to work like that anymore. And I felt like I didn't have any purpose. My, you know, I don't really care about these crises. You know, the crisis itself is one thing, but my role in it, I don't really want to be in that anymore. It's stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, They're hard. They're heartbreaking. And I'm trying to figure out my life without my other half. I really sort of physically feel like half of me is gone. Yeah. So um, that's why this project when it was noodling in my head um, and took form, it started getting, you know, giving me new energy and and a little bit of a purpose. And when I sort of floated the idea on social media and I got overwhelmed by it. So that's what sent me in this different direction. So, you know, I, I, for the middle-aged warriors who are hanging out with us uh, and we are talking with Sarah Brady, who is a public relations expert and crisis management expert and has been a wonderful guest with us, but I want you to speak to where people will be able to go online and locate your website because mm-hmm. I don't think it's up yet, is it? No, it's not. It's not. It. Um, my. I'm hoping to launch it in March. Okay. Uh, uh, but um, I'm not sure I'm going to make that deadline. But it's. Um, but but it'll be called myunfinishedbusiness.com. Okay. Good. I'm sorry. Myunfinishedbusiness.org. Dot org. Ah. You know, it's it, it sounds like it's definitely going to be a vital tool for people who, you know, have to go through this experience. And ultimately, somebody in a, in a relationship, typically, it's one or the other that does have to deal with something like this. And, and you're not, you're never really truly prepared. But I always remember talking to people who had experienced it. Everybody's story is different, but it's just helpful to have an understanding ear or shoulder to lean on. It's because sometimes you can feel very alone. Because everybody else's life is going on the way it was prior to the loss of your other half, but yours isn't. And that can make you feel very isolated. So it's important to meet other people, I think, who've experienced that. And it seems like that's that's what you really want to bring forward here. And I think that's the beauty of the website you're creating is, is mm-hmm. basically evaporating uh, some of that loneliness and that isolation that people must feel. Like... How am I ever going to get through this? Am I the only one that's ever gone through this? Am I the only one going through this right now? And all those other questions that we all ask anytime we go through any kind of loss in life. It is part of being alive. It's it is. Just... And, and I think um, when, um, it, it, you know, these are about people's stories. So this isn't clinical. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I think that's why I think it will work. Um, and I, you know, these are people, most of them I do not know. Um, I'm just, you know, people are referring them to me and they've all been so gracious. Their stories are, it is, you, it, they cross the spectrum of loss um, and experience and reaction. Um, but everybody um, comes out, everybody's been really helpful um, and has a, a way out. Um, and it may be messy, uh, it may not be easy, but everybody I've talked to has kind of found a way forward. And, um, and it's amazing. Um, I'm also going, you know, and I will have the 
you know, I'll have an Instagram page and kind of have some of these stories. I'll have a Facebook page. I'll get all those. I'm also probably going to do a podcast as well. So good. Well, yeah, and you're going to stay in touch with us so we can so we can do an update. And when you're up and and actually running, yeah, you know, all of a sudden March is not that very far away. Yeah. Is it? No, I gotta oh start my writing. goodness! <laughs> so, uh, thank you so much for sharing from your heart and spending some time with us. I mean, it's just uh, these are invaluable lessons that Absolutely. you can only teach after having gone through it. And I know that from being your friend, Chris, mm-hmm. and you know, and watching you through Nancy's uh, demise and you trying to rebuild a life afterwards. And part of it was exactly what this podcast mm-hmm. turned out to be, which is couple of guys sitting here shooting the shit talking about life and all the stuff that we never anticipated don't talk like that there's a lady in the room what are you doing sorry <laughs> sarah thanks so much it really was a pleasure meeting yeah. you and we'll be sure to forward the information once everything's up and running because i think it is a very vital uh message to get out to people in need of this type of thing yeah thanks so much Can i just give you guys a compliment that you do this podcast i think it's lovely that it's two men having these conversations. It's great. Well, it's, ir- it's ironic because one of our, our founding platforms was Chris and I used to sit and talk and have lunch and we would say, you know, Chris is going through Nancy's demise. I deal with a chronic illness, which has kicked my ass pretty good. I would always say to Chris, you know, what's amazing to me is guys won't cry unless their team gets eliminated from the playoffs, <laughs> you know? And, and they do. They just so don't far. tell you. That's all. Yeah. And heads up for 80 for Brady. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On that note, Sarah, thanks so much. Best of luck. Uh, stay strong. It's a process. Uh, you know, two steps forward, one step back. But yeah. eventually everything's moving in the right direction, I'm sure, for you as well. And you're in my phone now. So you're going to be yeah, the target of numerous Uh-oh. emails and reminders. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Be well. Wow. You know, what I wanted to ask is, and because you are part of the subject of the question, I want to ask, who does better, men or women, in Hmm. losing a spouse early? Well, you know, it's funny, um, and I never got to it. At different points, it had rolled into my head a little bit. And from what I have seen, in people of this age who have lost their spouses, that men, <laughs> that includes me, who's now engaged, um, men have a harder time being alone. And you know, it's funny, you would think it would have been the other way around. And then I went in and I looked at statistics. Yeah. And statistically, widowers remarry much higher percentage than widows. Women sort of go, you know what? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, one one and done. I don't want another one of those in my life. No, but, <laughs> but well, I'm making light of it. But it, it it it's an interesting thing that men really do have a much more difficult time being alone. While at the other hand, you know, men are looked and framed as being we're stronger, we're tougher, we're more independent. Well, when it comes to relationships, I don't know about that. I think I think yeah, well, more and it's you know, looking at uh, the generation in front of us, uh, when my mom died 20 years ago and left my stepfather to carry the ball, mm-hmm. he was totally lost. Yeah. And uh, and it was really sad. But I think he was lost before that. So, <laughs> well, there are a bunch of other issues, right? That can yeah. always come into play in these scenarios. But, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, if you look up statistically, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but 
I remember doing it, you know, when I was in my scenario and, and uh, yeah, men definitely want to reconnect in a relationship again, whereas women are, are a little better at being independent, uh, which is an interesting thing. So interesting. And, yeah. and, and as I said, you're my, my shining example of, uh, of dealing with the loss and trying to put one foot in front of the other. I mean, yeah. Kinda, and that's all you can do. That's all you yeah. can do, you know, and in, in, in light of that, it's odd, the timing, because I've been house hunting and I went to a home today where it turned out it was a gentleman who had just lost his wife, literally not even a month ago. I think it was oh my a, goodness. a date yeah. of this. This is February 2nd. He lost his wife January 5th to COVID. Uh, very suddenly she she had some pre-existing conditions, but I could still, you know, the, the, you could still see the pain and, and, but he, he couldn't afford the home anymore. And he's just, you know, looking, looking to move on as best he can. But, you know, seeing that again, kind of takes me back to, to that place, you know, and, and there's different ages that this happens for me. I was, I was 54, 55 years old, um, which I guess isn't old, <laughs> I hope it's yeah, not old. It's middle age. But where, you know, if maybe I was 75 and that happened, I don't know the realization of yeah. really starting another relationship. But I've been very blessed and very fortunate to find the person I did. I didn't think I would, but yeah. you don't know. But you know, I have I have knock on whatever my head for wood, um, you know, a little more a little more time. But uh not everybody gets gets blessed the way I've been blessed. But uh, I think this interview from Sarah. And where she's going and what she's putting out there for people uh, is going to be very, very helpful to take. The I next think so too. Yeah, and and I'm happy that we can use this as a platform to help publicize because I think it's uh, it's one of those areas that you know is kind of taboo and people don't want to talk about it, but it's a reality. Yeah, it's I part mean, of we, who we are. We don't want to. You know, it's not it's not here intended to bum people out. And I think that that was the one thing I liked about speaking with her. And I loved going back to the love story, to where it all started when she yeah. talks about, who oh, is this guy with these blue eyes, this red hair and his handlebar mustache. And then when he came over and snuck a kiss on her and or how he knew she was wearing the same dress. Yeah, that was a funny story I mean, just, she told. Just, yeah. yeah, I mean, a really just just an adorable story. And, and that's that's what it's all about. And she'll always have that. And when you have these kinds of relationships, even after you lose the person, what they gave you cannot be taken away from you. Yeah. They may physically not be here and that still sucks. There's no doubt about that, but all of those great moments you had that they cannot be taken away. And I think Sarah really, I love her storytelling and I think that will help other people who might be in the same situation. I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she was very articulate and very poised and, uh, and very uh, good with us. And yeah. knowing you from way back when, when you were on the Today Show. Yeah, that was funny. Show. I know you. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Today Very Show. Sweet. What what life was that well, that I was Yeah, in? really. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> losing a spouse, right? Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, within life, we have all different, you know, gains and then we lose them. You know, that's, that's, that's that that is the game of life. So what is it? You got to be in it to win it, right? There you yeah. go. So as we move forward, next, next stop, show 101. Um, I think uh, I'm going to call it a wrap for me. I'm going to say, by the way, I will point out in New York, this is the latest we've gone into the winter 
without <laughs> measurable know. snowfall. It finally ended, and all we ended up was not even a half inch, four tenths of an inch of snow. But it's the latest we have ever gone in recorded history in Central Park for getting measurable snow. So this winter's been wacky, to say the least. And on that note, I will say a couple of the biggest snowstorms we've ever seen in New York have been in March. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So- so we've got that to look forward oh, to. Oh, we've got uh, February and March yet, so we're not out yeah. of the woods yet. But uh, on the flip side, I'm going to say sunshine always. And, and I'm going to be good, feel good. Thank you so much. He's Chris. I'm Rick. This is Middle-Aged Warriors. Here are you. And uh, we hope you'll check us out again here on the Believe Podcast Network the next time we're here. And that was 100. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.